You're listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 WGGTLP FM, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. If it's Thursday evening, this is Cue the Mic. And if it's Saturday afternoon at 2 and you're listening, you're listening on WXVU, 89.1 FM, Villanova's College Radio Station. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to Cuban Mike. This is Dr. Renee Norris-Jones. My grandsons call me Dr. Grandmother, and yes, that was all my doing. One's five, so it's kind of clear, and the one that just turned one, I just get, you know, whatever he's saying, gaba gaba goo goo, whatever babies say. So I am here tonight, oh, my pronouns, I'm sorry, my pronouns are she and her, and sometimes I'll respond to do, depending on the circumstance. I'm here tonight with my two co-host. Uh, Sandy's been with me since the beginning. So Sandy Smith. Yes. Hi. Good evening. Uh, this is Sandy Smith, uh, Germantown resident for the last nine years. Uh, uh, my day job, home and real estate editor at Philadelphia Magazine. And to discourage people from sending me email that begins with Dear Ms. Smith, my pronouns are he, him, and his. And also with us is our other co-host, Herman Epperson. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm Herman Epperson. Pronouns are his, him, and he. I almost uh, tripped over my words there. I'm a, I'm a theater major at Community College Philadelphia. Um, in another life, I was an Army National Guardsman for 11 years before I made the career change. All the career changes in progress. And tonight on the show, we have a special guest, uh, Judge Tamika Lane, who is running in the May 18th primary. Um, we, she will be our first uh, segment tonight. Uh, then we will have our usual Why Pronouns Matter, followed by Q Arts and Culture. Uh, we have a rather long political cues and news section tonight, so we will be skipping gay answers to straight questions and going straight into newsworthy or not. We have an interesting today in queer history, though. Uh, on this day in 1986, Vanessa Redgrave played the role of Renee Richards in the made-for-TV version of the movie, uh, made-for-TV movie based on Renee Richards's book, Second Serve. Uh, Second Serve, uh, if you don't remember who Renee Richards was, uh, she was a professional tennis player Born a man, underwent uh, sex reassignment surgery in the 1970s. As Renee Richards, she then fought the U.S. Tennis Association for the right to compete as a woman in the 1976 U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. Uh, the USTA had started requiring genetic testing for the women who wished to compete. She fought that and won. Richards was an early spokesperson for transgender rights in sports. And after she retired from professional tennis, she went on to coach Martina Navratilova to two Wimbledon titles. Wow. You know, when we talked about that earlier, I don't follow sports like that, but I do remember the name. And, and I did not know, did anyone else know that she was a male to female to get sex reassignment surgery? It was before my time. Okay, all right, all right, young man. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. So we are going to move right ahead because we've already had Miss Lane, Judge Lane, waiting a little bit. Tamika Lane, um, I, I've known you as Tamika. Can, can we call you Tamika tonight, today? Yes, you can. Tamika um, is fine. And just for the record, my pronouns are she and her. There you go. There you go. She said, I know my pronouns too, woman. <laughs> So, uh, Tamika, I know that you are running for, don't tell me, don't tell me. I had it here. Superior Court. Superior Court. Thank you. Superior God. Court. Superior Court. I should be smacked that hand all over the place. Tell me what, and I know you're a judge now. Is that in, that's in criminal court, right? Or family court? I'm a judge on the court of common pleas in Philadelphia, but I'm assigned to the criminal division. Yes. There we go. There we go. Um, I knew I would get that that correct. And how long have you been there? It's been a minute, right? I was elected in 2013. Okay. 
Okay. And before then, I was working in this in the Senate with Senator Anthony Williams, and I was the executive director for the State Government Committee. I remember. I remember coming up there with Women Against Abuse when you were working for Anthony Williams in, in this in the state. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing that. in the office. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Absolutely. So you've been in this for a really long time, and you are running for Superior Court. And what's the difference there? Well, the Court of Common Pleas is a trial court in Pennsylvania. So we deal with criminal matters, civil matters, family matters, anything dealing with children, as well as orphans court, which is wills and estates. And the superior court is simply an error correcting court. They look at the trial court, the court of common pleas where I currently sit and to see if any errors were made. Because if you lose on a court of common pleas, if you lose at your trial, you have an absolute right to appeal. And that's where the appeals go. So all 67 counties in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania fall under the superior court. Okay. okay. So that's why it's a statewide court. Okay. Okay. And, and I remember there was state, but I didn't remember all the different details. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was just to kind of back up a little bit was kind of voting during a pandemic. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, I don't know who it was, and they were just like, so that's right, the election's coming up. The last election I did voting by mail, what do I do now? So um, we want to talk about that kind of thing in general, kind of voting during a pandemic, what's different, what to expect at the polls? Well, I think that's a good question that we you should probably invite like Commissioner Omar Sabir or Commissioner Lisa Dealey, because okay. they are the commissioners who are charged with the polls. They're the okay. experts on that one. Okay, okay. We did reach out to the community of 70, but because this is uh, our second election, second election during the pandemic, correct? They were completely booked up, completely I'm booked sure. up. Yeah. Um, so I did read some stuff about, you know, voting for the polls. I believe you have until the 11th to to mail in your ballot. The actual election is on the 18th, but you can request a mail-in ballot by May the 11th. So you still have two more days to do that. Sandy, what else do we have here about the Republicans switching registration to Democratic? Uh, well, that has to do with the uh, contest for district attorney, uh, which is probably the highest profile of the races uh, that people will be voting on on May 18th. Um, as I'm sure all our listeners know, uh, four years ago, voters of Philadelphia elected a reformist candidate named Larry Krasner. Uh, who was the first DA to turn DA, that is defense attorney, to become district attorney. Um, he ran on a campaign in which he promised he would end cash bail, fight mass incarceration, and promote other um, alternative approaches to crime and punishment, such as restorative justice. Uh, he's become highly controversial Defenders of the uh, of the uh, former status quo in uh, prosecution have lined up to oppose him, um, and many of them cite some disturbing crime trends uh, as the reason to do so. Uh, among his chief opponents are our local police union, Lodge Five of the Fraternal Order of Police, according to NBC Ten. They have taken credit for a campaign that has gotten more than 6,200 registered Republicans in the city to switch their registration to Democrat so they can vote for his opponent, Carlos Vega. Um, <laughs> Vega has pledged to keep some of his reforms while being tougher on crime. Most of the Republicans who have switched their registrations live in the area where most of the cops who still reside in Philadelphia live, namely the far Northeast and the Western side of far South Philadelphia. Um, the, we do not know how close the race is. There has not been polling conductor on it because this is an off off year election. This is like the highest profile race that will be decided on on May 18th. And usually in elections like that, turnout is exceptionally low. Because turnout's exceptionally low, this could make the difference. Of course, on the flip side, a lot more progressive Democrats have been, have been active in Philadelphia lately. Progressive candidates have run and won, knocking off more traditional Democrats 
in a number of contests. So it's anybody's guess what could happen on May 18th. So on the 18th, I know that you have to be a registered Democrat to vote. That is correct. Um, how, how does that work for you, Tamika, with the state candidates for Superior Court? Is that the same? Yeah, the election on May 18th is for everyone, Republicans and Democrats, statewide. Right, right. Um, but I know for the primary, though, you have to be like, I'm an independent, so I cannot vote vote in the primary. That Correct. is true. That is right. true. Yeah, um, a registered Democrat or a Republican. Right. Um, is many candidates for judge run on both parties' ballots. Except for statewide. We're not allowed to statewide. Aha. Mm -hmm. You're not, not allowed to do what statewide? We, we can't call what's called cross-file. We can't run as Democrats and Republicans. You have to pick your party and run at, in that party. Okay. Ah. Um, Sandy is way more experienced in politics than I am. So is this a preliminary election for you as well? It's the primary election. Primary, Whoever right. Whoever wins in the primary will advance to the general election in November. And okay. We'll the ballot in November representing because there's only one vacancy for Superior Court. Whoever wins this primary will be the Democratic uh, candidate for Superior Court in the November election. Okay. So I have something here that I got in the mail from Talk Magazine 2021. Um, and for Pennsylvania state candidates, I see you on here. Very nice Great. photograph. <laughs> Great. Um, I couldn't see it, but I trust you. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's well, yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at showing things on here, okay. but. So it's this just for the Democratic side here? Yes, that, that looks like, I just saw it briefly and only saw a corner of it. Yeah. You gotta <laughs> put the thing in front of the camera uh, so yeah. we can see yeah. it. Your yes. camera lens is to the left of where you're holding up things. Yeah, don't put it in front of the screen because yeah, I that's- I think Renee likes us to just guess. <laughs> it's a little peekaboo. Yeah, and it's backwards there, okay. No, it looks like Paula Patrick is on there. She's a Republican. Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's right next to you. Okay. Yeah. She's a Republican. Okay. And the rest of us are Democrats. Okay. All right. So are you the only person running for this seat? I am the only person of color. There are three of us total running for Superior Court. I am the only uh, person of color and I'm the only judge running. The other two are from Allegheny County. Okay. There are attorneys okay. in Allegheny County. Okay. Okay. So you said you're the only judge that's running? I'm the only judge and the only person of color. If we look at the current composition of the appellate courts in Pennsylvania, that's the Supreme Court, the Superior Court, and the Commonwealth Court, out of 31 judges, there's only one judge of color, and that is Judge Carolyn Nichols. And we know wow. that the Superior Court is often the final stop for most people in Pennsylvania because the yep. Supreme Court won't hear their cases. They heard 8,000 cases alone last year, and 70% of those cases were criminal. And we know that black and, black and brown communities are disproportionately affected by the criminal justice system. So this is a right. really important court. Wow. Wow. I got chills just thinking about that. Because you're right. So we have Common Pleas, Superior that you're running for, and then the Supreme Court, and everything no, doesn't No, Commonwealth. 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 Not Common yes. Pleas. I'm on a court of Common Pleas. That's right. a local trial court. Commonwealth Court is an appellate court that deals with state agencies. It deals with like school districts, DHS, uh, governmental agencies. They also deal with election law there. And Superior Court deals with criminal matters, civil matters, family matters, anything dealing with children, wills and estates. And the Supreme Court, of course, deals with everything. Because right. that's the final I stop. I thought that Commonwealth Court was also the initial trial court for suits where the state is being sued. You're absolutely right. And that's what's so unique about the Commonwealth Court is that it actually is a hybrid court where it's a trial court and an appellate court. Yeah, that was, that was right on point. And the Superior Court is not, you don't hear any evidence or live testimony at, at the Superior Court. They look at the record from the trial court. That's a huh. huge distinction, so thank you. So when you are on the ball. Yeah, <laughs> so and then looking at that, do they have any options to ask questions or they're just strictly going by the, the, the trial? Superior court, they have what's called oral arguments where you will go before the panel and have an oral argument for, for both sides because you okay. have to submit uh, briefs. Okay, but it's, it's, it's what's critical here that I heard is that you said there's one other person of color? It's only one. There's right, only one. okay. Right. There's judges, only one. Only one in Judge Carol. Wow. Wow. 
Um, so you will be the second. I, yes, yes. And right. if I were uh, so fortunate to get elected, I would be the third black woman ever elected to this court. Wow. 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 Um, and I guess I'm, I'm listening to, so I've known Tamika because Tamika went to law school with my ex. So I've known her for a long time from, you know, well, not in law school, but afterwards. So I know a little bit about the common police court. Is that what it is? I oh, where I sit now. Yes. 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 Um, but I don't know much about the other ones, but I do know that when you said that when those are appealed, they go to superior court and it's to hear that there's just only one person of color in that seat is, um, it says a lot. It says yeah. a whole lot, of, especially in 2021 and the era of George Floyd, who just had his. Um, I mean, but are you surprised though? No, I mean, I am and I'm not. I mean, you just, sometimes you hear something, you go, really? Really? Um, I think one thing that, and this, this is just to go off topic for a second, and we'll talk about this in a little bit for our queer trans spotlight. Um, I was doing some research, research on that today and the, in a, I'm sorry, I just lost my page here, here we go. In the, the Trevor Project did um, a survey in 2019 that said 39% of LGBT youth have seriously attempted suicide in the past year. 39%. So it's, it's, it's on that level where it's just like you hear the statistic, but it just when, when you hear it in, in certain, you know, with certain words lined up, you go, wow, that is, um, that's a lot. That's, 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 that's a lot to hear. So we definitely need some, some folks of color in that position. And so the one person is a woman, you said, Yes. So, and then you said if you win, you would be the second or third person? Third. The third. Third. Wow. Wow. The first uh, was uh, Judge Cheryl Allen, and she won as a Republican because initially she started off as a Democrat. She's out of Pittsburgh, and they didn't uh, support her. And wow. so she changed her party and ran as a Republican and won. And then the second is Judge Carolyn Nichols, who's the first Democrat to win. And then I would be the third in general and the second Democrat, but third. Wow. Well, wow. Let That's... me ask, are those other, did those other two make it to the appellate courts or are they still on common pleas? No, no. The, I'm, I'm talking about superior court. Okay. I'm not talking about common pleas. Got you. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, that's right. That's you said she switched her registration. That's right. Not Sorry. Right. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sorry. Um, no, that is because really. Because remember statewide, we have to run as a Democrat or a Republican. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Wow. So I have a question. Once you do that, you're locked in that party, um, I guess, your whole career, or can you um, decide to change parties at some point? No, you are not locked in. Mm -hmm. Like, you're talking about, like, once you get elected, are you able to switch? Is that what you're talking about? Um, not immediate after, but people change their political affiliations throughout their lives sometimes. But Just I was wondering. Like Senator Specter, you know? Gets elected as a Republican, mm -hmm. uh, sees that Republicans aren't going to renominate him, switches to a Democrat while holding right. office. But can <laughs> judges do that um, down the line? Yeah, you can change your party okay. at any time. And then you can, but you then if you go from Democrat to Republican, you got to run Republican or change back. Well, once you're on the election cycle, mm -hmm. you're, you're stuck with that. Okay. On the election cycle. But once you're in office, you can change. Um, and be whatever party you want. You can change the independent. Okay. You can be whatever you want to be. So when it's election cycle, you gotta you gotta commit to one and stay that way. Yes. Like remember okay. how we looked at like Bernie Sanders, where for a lot of of his career he was like more of an independent. Yeah, but when yeah, he was yeah. President, he ran mm -hmm. as a Democratic uh, nominee. So I remember. Yeah, I know that, and and when that election, I know a lot of a lot of people of my generation screwed up because in that primary. Uh, a lot of people I know failed to change their um, political party from independent to Democrat to vote in the primaries. Mm -hmm. So he yeah. potentially that lost out on a lot of votes, but that was a lesson my generation should have learned by now. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing to, that we will note when we get to political cues and news about how this state conducts its elections. 
we have what are known as closed primaries. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I, I just read something earlier and it said how you vote is private, but whether or not you vote is a matter of public record. Huh. I did not know that. So Tamika, I, I know that you um, need to run. I thank you so much. Um, and what I heard is the need for people of color at the Superior Court and all, all because, our appellate courts. Right, all appellate courts and right because of the, because of the appealing and if it's coming from common pleas and that's where they're going and out of seventy one judges, there's one person of color. I think that that definitely thirty one thirty one. That definitely needs to change. It definitely needs to change. That's what I heard. And we have, and I say we, I mean, people of color, black and brown people, we've been historically um, underrepresented on these courts. And also when right. you look at what it takes to win, these, these are really costly races. I mean, you have to raise for the superior court. You know, I've been told that I need to raise at least $2 million. And oh, historically, wow. we just don't have that money in our communities. We don't come from that, that generational wealth. Right. And that could, right. You know, that's also been, you know, a challenge for people of color running statewide. Wow. 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 That's yeah, a lot. Yeah. I know, I know like there's not a lot of, um, at least that I've noticed in the past years, a lot of uh, um, media coverage or attention drawn to these, to these um, elections, but they have some pretty powerful outcomes mm -hmm. for who gets elected. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And people historically have also said that this wasn't a quote unquote sexy race. Judicial elections weren't the sexy race because, you know, we weren't always on TV. We can't talk about those issues that people right. want to talk about. Well, yeah. Because as a judge, we have to remain impartial. So the, when you go out and people want to talk about, you know, things that they saw on TV or pending legislation, you know, or things that are happening in a community that could wind up before the courts, we're not allowed to talk about any of it. And so, so I know that that can be frustrating when people want to know, you know, what's your stance on this? What's your stance on that? We're, we don't have stances on anything because when you come to the court, you want your judge to be impartial or at least mm -hmm. if you're impartial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of the difficulties about uh, electing judges. There's, there's an inherent tension in that people vote because they want results and they would and they would like to have somebody put in office that would deliver those results. And a judge is not supposed to deliver results so to speak in that way yeah and then it, that's why it's so important to look at who you're electing look at their background and what they've done because that's a strong indicator of who they're going to be um so. but bluntly experience counts <laughs> it does so so for someone going to the election on the 18th or mailing in their ballot um i know the big races for the DA, where would they find information about the Superior Court on the when they're voting? They can look at the uh, they can look at the Bar Association. They can look at like the Tribune. I know that they have done things about these judicial races. So just look in, in various uh, legal communities. And we're really trying to get out there to community groups as well. So some community groups have started endorsing judges as well. You know, I have a lot of community organizations. I actually had a national one called the, the Collective Pack in which they're trying to elect, um, you know, black and brown people. Hmm. So, hmm. You, so the community is really starting to be aware and stepping up to make sure people are aware of who's running for judge and who we are. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that's really important. And because we are on FM and we're community access, we, as hosts, we can't endorse. But I'm, I'm saying when someone goes to the polls, if they hit straight Democrat, will that? It doesn't exist anymore. Oh, really? Okay. That's yeah. No that doesn't exist. Wow. So, yeah. so I guess that's my question. If someone's going to the poll, um, the polls to vote, where would they find information about this? What about the about the courts, the state candidates, and do they? If they don't choose that, does that just go away, or they, is that something they have to choose? You can vote for whomever you want to. You can go in and vote for one person and leave. It's no, no one's there to dictate how many people you can vote for. You don't have to vote for, uh, you know. You, so, so if someone, so yeah. So then I'm gonna have to go, Renee. Yeah, I'm yeah, five yeah. Over my time. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I guess what I'm saying is that if folks are going for the big, you know, the big races for the DA, they also need to look for at at superior state candidates 
to make sure that they get that in there. Otherwise, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. That's that's correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, absolutely correct. Thank you, Tamika, so much. Judge All Lane. Right. Thank thank you guys so much for having me and happy Mother's Day. And happy you guys have a wonderful day. I appreciate it. You Go to judgelane.com for more information about my candidacy. Judge Lane, L A N E dot com. Thank you there guys you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a good one. Bye. So let's see. Um, what I learned a lot there. I learned a whole lot there about the, well, first of all, that if you don't specifically vote for a judge that um, the people who know that they need to vote for a judge, it won't happen. So it's, it's like people in the know get to say who's running, which kind of to me answers the whole, what's it, 31 judges? That's, that, that's that's how it's always been i mean if people don't if the information don't doesn't get out to the public of how important these um um well that that's elections are with judicial elections for decades you know right um because because in essence there's a there's a conflict between what people do when they go in to vote and what we expect from judges Mm -hmm. There isn't the kind of campaign coverage of judicial elections that you get of elections for other offices. The judges can't, they shouldn't speak on the issues. They're supposed to be impartial. So if they're going to be impartial, they've got nothing to say and thus nothing gets said about. It. So if you know the judge, you know who the person is, you might vote for them. Otherwise, you might not vote at all for a judge candidate. And these are these are the type of elections that require the voter to do some reading. And people don't read in 2021. Though, admittedly, it is getting better, like what uh, Judge Lane just said with um, uh, community outreach and the word getting out there. So, but... <sighs> It's, uh, yeah, you, media can't really sensationalize these elections because you don't, the judges don't have a platform to talk about. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot there. Um, so hopefully folks know that when you go out to vote and I didn't know that you can just vote for one person and you're out of there. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, would you say Herman? No, I mean, uh, nothing uh, about the voting. Yeah, you. Um, Did you okay. know that as well? Did you guys know that as well? That you can just go in and vote for yeah. one person and be out? Uh, it, that's what it says on the ballot. <laughs> if you really? Read the ballot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Obviously, I don't. Um, so I'm wondering how many other people don't read that in the ballot or don't really. Huh. Yeah. Don't know that at all. I'm assuming you did, Mr. Political Smith. Well, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the practice of, you know, bullet voting in multi-candidate elections where a person can cast votes for like multiple members of a city council or something. And one of the practices that people do is, you know, let's say that there are like 10 candidates running for five seats and you want one of those, one of those 10 candidates to get elected so you go into the polls and you vote for that one person and nobody else and you go home. Wow. That's known as bullet voting. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this show is more for people like me who did not know that. Mm -hmm. um, so again, as an independent, I don't get to vote in this election at all or I can just go. You have to go, no, you gotta go change. It's a primary election. Uh, this is what happened, uh, the thing with Bernie Sanders, you got. Let's, can we do this in political cues and news? Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to this. Mm -hmm. um, so, Mr. Smith, how much time do we have? Uh, we are almost at the halfway point. Okay, so I am going to, um, should we do pronouns or cue spotlight? We've kind of mixed things up a little bit here because we wanted to focus on the election. Um, let's do, uh, well, you also got a little thing on arts and culture. Um, yes. Let's, let's wrap that up and then let's do trans spotlight and then let's get back into political. Okay. All right, Herman, do you, what do you have for um, Broadway? 
we're always reopening. Um, I know you're a fan of Broadway. I am. I, I love Broadway. How are you not a fan of Broadway? You're going to be an actor. You're going to be stage actor. I never exposed to it. Never really. I was yeah. I was never exposed to it. I mean, it's expensive. I didn't have parents when I was growing up, so I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and theater certainly is so much broader than Broadway. Yeah, oh, yes, it is. It's not like I Yeah, I totally love community theater as well. I, it's not like I don't have an appreciation for it, but I didn't really um, pay attention to it that much until I started, um, you know, I started going to classes at CCP. And so I'm aware of it. But I mean, when I got aware of all the things on Broadway, the pandemic started. But it wasn't it wasn't in my uh, area of interest for for a while. But I would occasionally hear about shows that would, would be really good. So I wasn't, you know, resistant to learning about it. It was just not one of my um, areas of interest at first. But anyway, Broadway is looking to resume ticket sales um, this month for their fall 2021 shows. So uh, you may want to jump on that, Renee. Yes. So um, right now, the Phantom of the Opera will resume on October 21st, 22nd. Um, Chicago, the tickets, I believe, I think the Phantom of the Opera, they started, the tickets that are on sale, Chicago, seats for reopening of Chicago um, is coming up soon. I'm kind of missing here, the Life and Times of the Temptation went on sale, I think a week ago. So all of these are on sale now. Aladdin, Hamilton, and Come From Away are also planning to reopen in the fall, um, uh, September the 14th. Isn't I'm sorry? with Billie Holiday involved here? What? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm probably missing it because I'm kind of scanning over something here, but a lot of them are coming back. I was just so happy to see this. Um, it was a really long Netflix article. Versus Billie Holiday? Yes, the, I think that was on Netflix. Oh, okay. That wasn't Broadway. Yeah, that was a Netflix. <laughs> I would like to see that on, on there. because I Only because I know that because I saw it on Netflix and kind of flagged it. I've not watched it yet, but I did see that on there. Um, but Broadway is coming back. That's how I knew the pandemic was real when they were like Broadway closed. I would just remember my mouth dropping open going, oh, what? It wasn't the deaths that was Broadway. It was the what? It wasn't all the deaths that was Broadway that did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the deaths happen later. But, deaths, uh, Broadway's closed. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was physically in Montgomery County in this area was the first county that closed. I was working in Montgomery County and was scheduled to go to another client's office the second day. It was on a Thursday when they closed Montgomery County. Um, and the next day I was supposed to be in another county within Montgomery County, another town within Montgomery County. So it was just driving home. I had like an hour long drive going. It was just eerie. It was just the looks on people's faces. It was just like the day the earth stood still. It was just trying to wrap your head around it while I'm in the county that has the most cases. So, um, yeah, so that was, was my first thought. I was just waiting for it because I, I heard what was going on in, um, when the outbreak first began in China. I'm like, oh, this is going to hit the U.S. by like next season. Um, and if I was a betting man, I would have won some money. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it was like um, March, March, early March. That's when things started to officially close down on the eastern side of the U.S. Yeah. So in your right, Sandy, it's more than just Broadway. I do participate and go to a lot of um, theater, live theater. Allen's Lane is one of my favorite in Philadelphia. You know, you get there and you get to bring your own dinner and um, watch it kind of real, real close and real close and personal but no i'm a big fan of broadway um for a lot of years and the one far from away my nephew um was actually in there for the first couple of years until he had some injury with his throat or something um a medical condition with his throat he was also in rent in the opening cast of rent so Ooh. yeah so go rodney um so we are moving on to the q trans spotlight um and and, and we had, I had a couple things, but I wanted to make sure, especially doing, when we talk about COVID, you know, it's challenging for a lot of people in a lot of ways from financial to the isolation and just talk about some of the 
the hotline numbers that are out there um, for uh, LGBTQ and trans folks in particular. Um, and I mentioned it earlier when we were talking to Judge Lane that there was a survey that the Trevor Project did in 2019, and it talked about how it was the mental health, the LGBT mental health survey. Um, and 39% of LGBTQ youth seriously consider suicide in the past year. So they did the report in 2019, so 2018. So I'm sure that that is, um, it was similar. And we talked about, we did a show and the topic was the importance of support for LGBT youth. And I don't remember the number, but I think it said something about just one supportive voice helps almost on that same 30, 40%, it helps that much. So saying something positive and supporting our LGBT youth is equally important just by being um, supportive. Um, the next statistic from that report talks about more than half of transgender and non-binary youth having seriously considered suicide. And the third, third item is 71% of LGBT youth reported feeling sad or hopeless for at least two weeks in 2018. Now in 2018 feels like a while ago, but you know, 2020 was kind of a wash, but it's still recent information. And 71% of LGP youth reported discrimination due to either their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, so the Trevor Project has a hotline. It's for, the Trevor Project is mostly for LGBT plus youth ages 12, 13 to 24. They are online international peer-to-peer -peer community for LGBT young people and their friends. That number is 888-488-7386. Again, 866-488-7386. You can actually also hit, you can text the word START X-T-A-S-T-A-R-T, S-T-A-R-T to 678-678. And the last one is the Trans Lifeline. That is at translifeline.org, 877-565-8860. We'll have both of those numbers on our website and our social media pages. Again, it's translife.org. 877-565-8860. And it's a free crisis hotline staffed by transgender people for transgender people. That was a mouthful. So um, please share those numbers. And I think now we move back to political news and cues. Yes, it is indeed. Political cues and news began. Let's start, though, by summarizing what you may need to know in order to vote. Um, as we've already noted, Pennsylvania is a closed primary state, uh, which means that if you wish to vote in a party primary, you must be registered in that party. Um, also, if you wish to avoid, you know, risking, uh, you know, catching something by going to the polls in person, you can still vote by mail. However, if you have neither switched your party registration nor applied for a mail-in ballot, by the time you hear this, it is too late. You've missed the deadlines. Deadline for requesting mail ballots is one week before election day. That was Tuesday the 11th. Uh, and the deadline for switching party registrations uh, has already passed about, that uh, was at the beginning of the month. Um, so if you've not requested a mail ballot and you haven't received one, uh, plan on showing up your polling place on the 18th. Um, this is a low turnout election, so you're probably not going to be waiting in long lines. But remember to follow uh, COVID-19 protocols. Wear a mask, you know, uh, stand six feet apart from people in line. All those things still apply. Um, now, I think we already mentioned the, uh, the registration switch for DA. And, you know, I'll just reiterate that that is probably the, you know, highest profile race. But there are some other interesting things on the ballot to pay attention to. 
Right, you know, and I'm just going to stop you there for one second. Even though the DA is being elected, it's still a low number. It's, it's not a high race because of the DA election. I yeah. think that would be a big deal. Uh, it's a bigger deal than usual this year, but that's because of who's DA. Right. Usually the district attorney's race doesn't draw as much interest as the mayor's race. And we deliberately do not elect our district attorney and our mayor in the same election. Huh. Why is that? Uh, to avoid having the two terms be concurrent. Um, ah, for one, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I guess because, yeah, I, I can see where that's it. I mean, just. It's just like the governor and the attorney general at the state level. We right. don't put them in the same election either. Right. Okay. Okay. The judiciary branch is supposed to be co-equal with and independent of the executive or the legislature. And that's another reason why we do this. Right. Okay. Um, wow. And, you know, I think it was, I don't know when I realized, but at some point I realized that um, the DA, and this was probably decades ago, the DA and the police um, work together. Yep. Um, and I've probably realized that at some point during my life time, at different times, there's different things have come up. Um, just like when Judge Lane was saying that all the people of color who get, who are in the judicial system mm -hmm. and get an appeal, it's going to, I don't know why 71 is sticking in my head. Um, 31, 31. 31, 31. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, let me call your attention, though, to another race that is of interest to some of our listeners, even though it doesn't take place up this way. Um, in the 182nd State House District, where Brian Sims currently serves, uh, Deja Alvarez, uh, a longtime trans activist in this community, is looking to knock him off before he even gets a chance to run for Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman's seat. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard her name. Uh, she's a well-known uh, figure in the LGBTQ community. Um, and I think this is significant because it does show that Sims may be in a weaker position than either he or his supporters think he is if he's getting a primary challenge now. Another thing to note is that there are also four questions on the ballot this May. One of them is pretty straightforward, should be non-controversial. Uh, it simply adds language to the state constitution uh, saying that rights cannot be abridged or denied on the um, uh, um, grounds of race or ethnicity. The other three, however, would amend the state constitution to give the legislature more power to restrict curtail or extend emergency declarations is, uh, issued by the governor. Um, one would limit the length of the declaration to 21 days, um, and the governor could not reissue a new one if the legislature does not vote to extend it. Um, another I I one, that one. What? Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't think I like that one, but go ahead. Yeah. You said you do, you do not like that one. I don't think I like that one. Okay. But go on, I'll talk about that later. Another one um, basically specifies that when the governor declares an emergency, he has to indicate the nature, location, and the type, gives the General Assembly power to pass laws providing for the manner in which it'll be managed. Um, that's the same question. Um, oops. Where are the other ones? Oh, um, let's see. Ah, um, yeah, this is all prompted by uh, the COVID-19 emergency. And, and that was my question. Where, where did this come from all of a sudden? Like, why, why are we discussing that now? This was this all prompted by the governor's uh, COVID-19 emergency orders. Um, there was one of them was seeks to overturn a Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision that ruled that the General Assembly 
cannot pass a concurrent resolution, uh, that means both houses agree, to terminate the governor's emergency declaration without submitting it to the governor for his approval. This amendment would remove the requirement that the governor approve it first. Um, the third, you know, um, let's see, the other one, well, basically the other one kind of like spells out what the governor has to do, but the three put together pretty much uh, make the legislature uh, an actor in emergency declarations, um, not quite on par with the governor, the governor still has to issue them, but apparently he has to be more specific in what they, what they describe it, 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 it's, it's an attempt to um, tie the governor's hands as I see it. That's, that's, I agree. And because COVID is the backdrop, I know there's a, there's a lot of Republicans that want to open the state back up and get their, um, they wanted to get their, I mean, workforce back to work um, and just, potentially call it a dangerous situation because they don't believe COVID-19 was a threat. Um, oh, yeah. And, and actually, yeah, and, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. This is something else to note about the amendments. Currently, a governor's disaster declaration is in effect for 90 days from issuance. The amendment would cut that period to 21 days unless the General Assembly agrees to extend it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they, they, I bet they're going to use the Texas, you know, small government um give more power to the people but what actually is going to happen is if something if the government states something in a state emergency is similar to COVID-19 and they don't believe science they can overturn it and then kill mm -hmm. us all mm -hmm. that's a little bit hyperbolic but that's where I stand on that well you, you said a mouthful right there if they don't believe it you know it's a basically yeah if they don't they I don't take it a... oh pardon I'm me. sorry Sandy go ahead go ahead Thurman oh no no I pretty much completed my thought I was go ahead okay. I was going to say I should stress to our listeners that this is the final step <clears throat> for a constitutional amendment to become law. The amendment process in Pennsylvania requires that proposed amendments be approved by two consecutive general assemblies. In other words, an election must intervene. And that election took place last fall. These bills were approved by last year's legislature and by this year's. So. Once, if the, if the voters approve this, these all become part of the state constitution. Uh, that's right. I do remember seeing these on the ballots uh, last election. So, mm -hmm. And if they don't, would that mean they go back to the drawing board again and then after exactly. win two more? Okay. Exactly. Okay. That's good to know. Wow. Wow. Um, now, you had a couple of interesting items for us, uh, Herman, on this. Uh, something regarding our withdrawing troops from Africa. Yes. So recently, the president stated that he would like troops to be withdrawn from Afghanistan by September 11th of this year. And that would commemorate the 20 years since we've deployed and been at war um, in Afghanistan. Um, and lately, he said it's for July 4th. He wants uh, July 4th. Uh, he wants to to be uh, to withdraw by then, and then I no, no later than uh, to be completely gone by September 11th, I believe. But the the problem lies that our allies in NATO believe that they may be withdrawing too fast. Um, now I've never been to Afghanistan. And I've been in Iraq towards the withdrawal um, in 09, when they were handing a lot of the uh, US bases over to the Iraqi army. Um, and I was, you know, I was helping personally train the uh, combat engineers of um, the Iraqi army in our, in our area. And the idea was that they would, you know, take, uh, take control of their country and we would leave. And that we did. Did it? 
<laughs> well, ISIS came through and took over Iraq a couple years later. And it took, they, uh, a, I don't want to say a majority, but a good number of the Iraqi army, army surrendered to ISIS. They got the equipment the Americans gave the Iraqi army and that was using them against them. And that began a whole other conflict that uh, we had to send troops back to Iraq. And it looks like it, the concern is this is going to play, uh, it's going to repeat in Afghanistan again. With the um, Taliban playing the part of ISIS. Right. And that's the concern that NATO has. And we've seen it happen before in Iraq. And they, they're calling it the Forever War, which is also a, a title of a book, a science fiction book uh, by, uh, I believe, John Scalzi, but that's neither here nor there. But, um, the one thing I want to say is that the enemy, the insurgents, the Taliban, the opposition, they are not stupid. They know when we're leaving. They watch the news. And they also know the units that, are in, um, that they're fighting with, especially uh, Army and Air Force, where we have unit patches worn on our sleeves. So they know when a unit is coming in and coming out. And if my tour is any evidence of this, they will lay off for a while uh, on their way out until the last few weeks and then start hitting them hard and then start hitting the uh, new unit coming in. Wow. It's gonna play out the same. Um, yep. I expect um, a lot more casualties I expect more fighting on during the withdrawal because they know they're leaving. They know when they want to go home. And then when they withdraw, who I don't know who I don't know who's going to be put back in charge of those uh and, and those um those areas we've controlled. But if they if they don't uh, keep up the fight, then it's gonna repeat like I did uh, a couple of years ago. Well, mm. historical backdrop to this is that Afghanistan has for almost its entire existence been a notoriously difficult country to run centrally. Um, it seems like it is more of a collection of squabbling tribes than it is a nation. Um, and that probably doesn't bode well no matter who's in Afghanistan. <laughs> Historically, the people of Afghanistan have repelled the invaders of many, many countries. Uh, before before the US, I believe the last was the Russians in the 80s. Correct. They had the same problems. Uh, it's difficult terrain and um, just many, many factions working against you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like I said, I feel like it's gonna, I feel like it's gonna repeat with Iraq again, but that's just me and I'm a, a jaded skeptical veteran. But you've got experience, and what did we say about that? Experience counts. <laughs> yes, it does, I guess. Yeah, I know. When we talked about this, Herman reminded me that he had not been there. I'm going, but I think you still have a voice there just by being a veteran, you know? Um, it's and having the nature of both these wars, OIF and OEF, or Iraqi freedom and enduring freedom, enduring freedom being Iraq, it's just, it was a very, very messy war um they it was they called it the the millennials vietnam just because the the nature of dealing with the public uh the or the people of afghanistan the people who live there and you have the warring factions and people caught between and trying to choose a side and civilians being victimized it's it's terrible i don't recommend it two out of ten yep cool uh, i think we've got just enough time for two quick hits in our lightning round, newsworthy or not. Go for it. Um, all right. Uh, item one. Uh, this week, the Facebook Advisory Board, which is sort of like uh, people have nicknamed it the Supreme Court of Facebook. Voted, <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah, voted to uh, maintain Facebook's ban of Donald Trump from the social network, but kicked the ultimate decision back to Facebook management saying you need to erect a policy. And Instagram, I, Instagram also, 
and I, and I believe uh, Facebook also er, uh, owns Twitter now. And I know oh. Trump was banned from Twitter too. I hadn't heard that. Uh, um, Facebook does own, I think it's WhatsApp. Um, anyway, but yeah, uh, still a biggie. See, uh, I'm, that dude is toxic and I'm, I'm glad he can't get his toxicity out there, but it does draw a line of when do we start, you know, censoring people. I mean, we can make a reason for this guy, but, you know, we get people. I think that's why the review board kicked it back to management. Okay. They should come up with a clear and consistent policy. Okay. Yeah, and the reason I heard was that he, the insurrection that happened, that he was responsible for that. And I think just during his four years, there was so much violence that he incited and so many things that he did. It was just like, you know what, we don't need that kind of hate. And I remember putting something on Facebook that was just, um, someone said something and I said something like, I don't know what I said, but it had nothing to do with politics. It was just maybe, it's probably my, it was probably a feminist rant. Um, and they were just like, you can't say that anymore. You have one strike against you. And I'm like, really? But it's true. Um, <laughs> The Facebook meant uh, the you got you got a uh, you got a, a strike from Facebook. Yes. Oh, and, okay, and, wow. and sometimes when I go on there, it says you have one point or one strike or whatever it is. And I'm going. That's yeah. Oh. That algorithm. It's like oh. not even real people doing it. Sometimes it's a it's just a, a computer program. And it does. These go ahead. Sandy. Our quick hits. We can okay, discuss yeah. the whole censorship thing a little bit. Uh, one item from the lighter side. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, you have Karen, something else? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Karen McBride, age 52, applied last month to the uh, Texas Department of Motor Vehicles to change her name on her driver's license after getting married in November and was told to call the Cleveland County District Attorney's Office in Oklahoma, where she learned she was wanted there on a charge of felony embezzlement for failing to return a VHS tape of Sabrina the Teenage Witch to a Norman video store in 1999. Oh my God. Uh, yes, and it was a VHS tape, wasn't even a, a DVD. Yes, <laughs> uh, prosecutors accused her of willfully, unlawfully, and feloniously embezzling the tape valued at $58.59, according to court documents. The Washington Post reported that the bride had no memory of renting the tape, but guessed the man she lived with at the time must have gotten it for his two young daughters. On April 23rd, prosecutors in Norman said they would jot the charge and expunge McBride's record. Oh, my goodness. All righty. See, justice have... can be done. <laughs> the long arm of the law. I have very two quick ones. Just one word, two words, that's it. Disneyland has officially reopened. Don't care. Wow. <laughs> um, and I an IHOP hostess went viral after she put the post on went viral after she put Adam Sandler on the wait list. No one had the camera out. Um, needless to say he didn't hang around. It was just like the wait list. Okay, yeah, we're out of here. But yeah, she, snaps she up on the wait for list. the waitress. <laughs> yes. Yes. She did her job. Yes, yep. there you go. She did her job. She did her job. Um, so that's all the time we have. Is that right, Mr. Sandy Smith? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Herman, where can I just have to say this really quick? Where can they find it? But you know how we always say Alexa, and they talking. It's off. I unplugged it. It's in a shelf in a closet in a, my, of a box. But mine is listening. And after I said that, I was whispering. She whispered back to me and said, "If if you need me to whisper whisper and respond, just let me know." You can always turn on or off the whisper. <laughs> and then that's when she goes self-sentient and becomes Skynet. And now we're in a Terminator movie. <laughs> so you can find us everywhere on iTunes, Podomatic, Google Play Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and the overlord of Amazon, Alexa. Uh, Alexa. And if we're not on our favorite podcast channel, let us know. Very good. Uh, so before you go looking, though, also, you have been listening to Cue the Mic on Germantown Community Radio, 
92.9 FM WGGT LP Philadelphia and online at gtownradio.com or on Saturdays at 2 p.m. on WXVU 89.1 Villanova's Community Campus Radio Station. See you all next week.